0: Hey, it's Jay. And uh, a while ago, I was interviewing on a bunch of different podcasts to help promote my book, Break the Wheel. And one of those shows was The Learning Leaders Show, which is hosted by Ryan Hawk. He's a former college football player. And so, as you might imagine, his show interviews... Lots of athletes, professional athletes and uh, professional coaches, college coaches, but they also talk to entrepreneurs and best-selling authors, uh, people from the military, some of the best thinkers of our time, restaurant empire owners, like they have such a diverse array of guests over there on his show. And he and I just kind of hit it off about podcasting in particular. And so behind the scenes, we concocted this idea that I could come on as a recurring guest for his show and do deep dives into these topics that we cared about. So we've talked about the art, science, and business of public speaking. We've talked about the the behind-the-scenes of making podcasts. And recently, I had one of the best conversations I thought we've ever had on The Learning Leader Show with Ryan about the book writing process and writing at large. Listeners to Unthinkable who have been with me for a while know that I just identify as a writer, but I also love talking about creativity and the creative process and writing in particular. So... I asked Ryan for the raw audio of that conversation because I just felt it would perfectly resonate with everything we explore here on Unthinkable. And I wanted to run that discussion in full. So it's all going to come from the lens of appearing on Ryan's show, The Learning Leader Show. So if you haven't heard of that show, go check it out. But I wanted to run it here for you. And oh, by the way, Ryan has launched a book called Welcome to Management. It's a great book where he pulls from lessons learned, talking to all these big thinkers and innovators and hidden geniuses all across our society from sports and business and the sciences and the military. And it's just such a well-rounded book. And it pulls from so many unbelievable thinkers. Welcome to management. It's for people who have just left or are about to leave the role of a practitioner and are starting to manage teams. So it came out today today. It's available on Amazon. Welcome to management. I want to say congratulations to my friend Ryan Hawk and encourage everybody else who is listening to perhaps explore that book if it's relevant to you. All right. Without further ado, here is Ryan and me deconstructing the writing process and in particular, the process of writing our books. I hope you enjoy.
1: Jay, uh, back by popular demand. My (laughs) listeners, these these are their favorite episodes, man. I had to have you back on a very special week. Uh, for me, talking about a topic that I am fascinated by, and I know you are as well. And we love to go inside uh, what it takes to produce some sort of creative work. Well, welcome back,
0: man. It's good to have you. Thank you so much. Also, congratulations on the book. Thank you. <laughs> uh, How are you feeling?
1: I feel good. I mean, you know, early uh, feedback has been very positive. Um, We've got uh, just a number of people who have uh, pre-ordered, and and as this is coming out, uh, this podcast is coming out, the book will be coming out this week, so uh, it's one of the few non-timeless episodes I will release, but uh, yeah, I'm very proud of it, as as we'll get into here, because as you know, the process of getting your thoughts down on the page and then... Revising and editing and editing and editing and asking for help and then and then sending it to your official editor uh, As I did at McGraw-Hill and getting it back. uh, I thought wow, this is actually good (laughs) This is actually (laughs) useful. So I feel pretty good. I'm excited about it And now I'm excited for, for for really the masses to get a chance to read it
0: It was it's a it's an important topic There's few in this world that have ever considered it the way you've considered it and for the length of time you've considered it or have seen the breadth of intelligence, creative driven people talking about it. Certainly thanks to your show. Right. So and we will talk about how your show I know fit into your book writing process and how my podcast fit into mine. um, Because I think it was in a way our sneaky advantages and I think it will continue to be so. So we're going to give away that advantage, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the last thing I'd say is. There are very few things that you do in your life where it switches not from what you're doing to something else you're doing, but it switches from um, I am not this to I am that. In other words, there are very few things where you're like, I am a father. I am a husband, a wife, a partner. I am an author. You are an author, man. I just want that to sink in for you.
1: It uh, actually gives me chills, Uh, as weird as that sounds to admit. It is pretty cool, though, because books in general, have been one of the greatest life-changing tools for me. Uh, I did not grow up actually as a reader. And so I uh, I read like books about sports and, and little things about that, but I wasn't really that curious when it comes to books. All I wanted to do was play sports. And that's all I did do uh, growing up. I had to mature a little bit to appreciate the greatness of books. And this is a this is like one of my book buying rules, and, and it's not mine. I've read about it from multiple people online. I bet you have it as well. If you are even considering for one millisecond if you should buy the book or not, and I'm talking about any book, click buy. And here's why because that will chart that will cost you between 15 and 20 bucks or less. And if you get one idea that alters your trajectory of your life, Your return on investment is like a million. Think about it, for real. So never hesitate to click buy when it comes to a book that is piquing your curiosity because it could change your life. And they certainly have changed my life. And I think that's a rule I try to live by. And I encourage others to think of books in that regard as well.
0: I, I First of all, I really appreciate that. The thing I would lace that with is it's a little bit of a caveat, which is, Uh, So I I worked in venture capital for three years. I worked in tech at companies like Google and HubSpot and then venture capital running a brand. And now I'm out on my own doing this kind of stuff. And when I worked in VC, what I realized is people, including those who knew better, would would really, really celebrate the moment of raising capital for their startup. And I had a founder friend critique that. And, and I was like, why, you know, why not celebrate it? It's hard work to raise money. And he said, well, it's kind of like celebrating the fact that you went out to the store and bought groceries. Actually, the real work is about to begin, right? So when you buy a book, it's really tempting to say, I've started the work. I've done, or you feel that dopamine hit of almost like pseudo achievement. It's, it's weird, but I think we can all, all relate to that. You have to read the book and then you have to put it into action, right? So click buy, 100%, click buy, but then spend meaningful time with the words that Ryan has put on the page and figure out how to enact the stuff he's talking about to your life. So that'd be my caveat.
1: I love it. All right, let's set it up for why we're uh, talking today. So we've done episodes on what it's like to be an interviewer. Uh, In the podcasting world, we've taken a deep dive when it comes to being uh, a communicator specifically as a speaker on stage and how to be a better speaker in all areas of your life. So if you want to catch some of those previous episodes that Jay and I have done, we've done that. This one, it's timely and it makes sense. We go inside the process of writing a book. Uh, and it's not just about writing a book. it is about uh, there will be there will be some topics on just writing in itself. Because uh, I think that can relate to anybody listening to the show. We know not everybody listening is going to write a book. But there are some specific ideas we, we are going to share actually in part three of the rundown that Jay has written, written uh, to cover for anybody in regards to the topic of, of writing. So Jay, are you ready to go?
0: Yeah, let's do you want to give an overview of the rundown real quick?
1: Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll hit the first one and you hit the the second two, okay? All right. Yeah, the first one, ahead. the first one uh so I'm I'm setting it up right now. Then we're going to go into the process of, of what it is. So some of the parts of the process that we'll, we'll dive deeper is the research outlining, drafting, publishing, marketing. Um, then we're going to talk a little bit about how our podcasts were helpful in the process. And then there's a lot of talk out there for people in this space about traditional publishing, self-publishing, hybrid publishing. We'll, we'll touch on that. Uh, and then, and then Jay and I have some, I think general, uh, advice when it comes to the, nature and skill of, of, of getting your thoughts down, uh, on the page and the, the, I guess the, the impact of hearing someone's hidden habits and why that can be uh, useful.
0: So that's the process. And then the second section we're going to go into is called superlatives, where we're going to force each other to think about things like the most, the best, the least, etc. So some of my favorites include the cliche about writing or writing books that you found most true versus least true, uh, the most useful habit or routine, and several other superlatives like that. Certainly the hard parts as well. Uh, And that will be the second section. Again, that's called superlatives.
1: And the ending, uh, we are, we have thought of, both of us have thought of some ideas that are very, um, that could be useful for you as a listener who maybe has never written a thing outside of uh, emails to colleagues, uh, or someone who is in the process of writing a book, or maybe someone who has already written a book, uh, some things that could potentially help you. And so we each have jotted down a few bullet points to be helpful, some things that we learned through the process of writing our books. Cool. We're gonna give
0: you a kick in the pants. Ryan's being nice. We're gonna give you a kick in the pants. Kick in the pants. Sorry, <laughs> you always have the better uh, analogies. Okay, I wasn't. I was an English literature major. Full disclosure. So. Were you really? Yeah, yeah. I I used to say we, I, I got we've a BA. About that. I don't think No, talk- we've never talked yeah. about my degree. I used to say I got a BA in BS because I was always <laughs> like, Well, it's English and the culture around English literature majors is, you know, what do you do with that degree? And my retort now is, what do I do with that degree? Anything I freaking want. <laughs> so I'm a I'm a proud card carrying member of the English major society.
1: Well, there's something I'm gonna cover here in the third third part of the rundown, Jay, that Uh, I think when it comes to writing as to to why it can be so helpful to work on this skill. Um, And it's not necessarily exactly what you think. Okay, let's get to uh, part one, the process. So I'd love to ask you first, and I'll share what it was like for me. And I think it'll be cool to hear some of the differences because I know, even though I haven't seen your answers, I know that we our processes are not exactly the same. And in some cases, they're, they're polar opposites, as they were with the speaking uh, episode, which I think could be helpful because there are a variety of people listening. So can you walk me through your process for research, outlining, drafting, publishing, all of that when it comes to your book?
0: So the research part is, it doesn't look like research, but it was the most important step, and it definitely was research, which is I basically did my research for my book in public, And actually, just to back up a step, so I did a whole episode the first time I ever appeared on Ryan's show. We talked all about my book. It's called Break the Wheel. And the whole concept of the book is that there's just lots of average work and average results out there in the workplace, but nobody aspires to be average. And so I like to say that the dark side of information uh, or the information age is advice overload. And I think that's to blame for all the average work because we don't have a process in this era of endless possibilities for vetting those possibilities. And so we end up retreating to the quote-unquote best practice, which is fraught with all kinds of issues. And so in the book, I went exploring what those issues are through history and modern stories, through science and stats, and uh, and the, the real thrust of the book is if we're surrounded by endless possibilities, we need to put a system in place for vetting them. And the key variables that are always missing from those possibilities, from somebody else, from the history of our companies, et cetera, those best practices, if you will, the key variables that are missing are always from our unique situations. So we need to start our decisions from those things, our context, not the best practice, So I wanted to see if I could create a system uh, which is not a best practice because it's actually a series of questions because I can't be a hypocrite. I I can't give you a best practice if I'm questioning best practices. So the whole point of the book was to see, can we land on a series of questions that we can ask each other and also a system to develop more questions back in our workplaces with our teams that if we answer these questions, we'll start making better decisions faster, even if we're surrounded by endless best practices, right? So the point is not to find best practices. The point is to find the best approach for you. So that's what I wrote the book about. So I think it's just important context for, mm-hmm. for people listening. Um, the research, because man, that's a hairy concept to go after. I I mentioned I did this in public. I wrote articles on my personal blog. I wrote a newsletter once a week, every Friday. I published my podcast episodes uh, first weekly, then I went to Seasons, Uh, Because I needed time to like sleep, eat and not publish content all the time. Uh, But my podcast, Unthinkable, and then Public Speaking. So you have like four pillars of content, blogging, newsletter, podcast and public speaking. And public speaking was kind of the best of the first three rolled into a speech. And I spent two years aerating all these stories and all these insights and basically trying to pressure test them so that the book was kind of the culmination of this journey to understand everything that I was trying to explore. So I didn't go away to, you know, this this classic idea of doing research, like you hole up somewhere with a laptop and a bunch of books and a notebook. And I didn't quite do that. I spent two years filing away some usable stuff, some garbage, and a lot of stuff that was sort of in between and needed some work when I went to write the book. Um, and so that doesn't look like research, but I found that building in public Helped pressure test these ideas. It made the research almost like the self-improvement process because I was allowing others into that process. Although I never said, "Hey, this is gonna be a book," because I wasn't quite sure. Um, well, so that, yeah, that it's a crazy process. I realized not for everybody, but that's how I. I just felt like it was the uh, most authentic thing for a tinker like me, and also ended up being the most beneficial thing.
1: Um. So, my process actually, this is one area where we are similar because I uh was working full time while writing, and there is a lot of advice you get from authors to say. you you need to dedicate this year or these six months to doing nothing but writing the book. That just is not my reality. I could not do that. Couldn't afford to do that. Building a business at the same time as writing a book. So I I think this is is one of the areas where our our podcast, so this is kind of merging with the second question here we're going to talk about. So maybe we can bring these together because it's a huge part of our research. But Having regular dialogue with very intelligent people is helpful, but it's actually not even the most helpful part. What is, is that, remember, for each episode, there's roughly 10 to 1 research to actually talking. So if I'm talking for an hour, that means I've probably, on average, done 10 hours of research on that person, minimum. So this, in a way... Forced me to be reading a ton over the course of the time while writing. And so, if I was ever stuck or I was thinking of an idea and I couldn't quite get there, I would learn from other people. Um, just like Austin Kleon says, you know, steal like an artist. I mean, I try my best to to my books, really. The combination of what I've learned, my personal story, and some of the highs and lows of my story, mashed together, with some of the the most thoughtful leaders in the world and and then and then sharing some of the questions you can ask yourself. And what I was really hoping to do is help leaders, specifically new managers not make the same mistake that I did. So it was always with that slant. That was the idea. So my research was (laughs) primarily done through the preparation to get ready for the podcast, a ton of reading, watching Ted talks, reading all the articles written about these people. And through that, you can, you'll find yourself daisy chaining on from article to article. And Tim Urban talks a lot about this. If you look at, you know, you have Chrome open, if you use Google Chrome and I'll have like, my wife will walk up and she'll be like, you have 45 browsers open. What are you doing? And I'm saying, well, because I started here on this, I was I was, I was, was researching Jay Aconzo. And because of that, it led me to this idea, this topic, this person, and I'm down a rabbit hole. And maybe we're just talking about one specific area that's going to end up being about a paragraph in my book. But I'm trying to get to the best of the best and distill it down. But it, that was my process for research. So I would say it was kind of slow, arduous, uh, hard. There's so much left on the cutting room floor when it comes to both what I've written and what was researched. But I just feel like that's part of, that's part of the process to get to the good stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, it sounds like we both had multiple years worth of material that we were reflecting on and, you know, people don't have to have that vehicle. Our podcasts were kind of this discovery vehicle, but I think the mentality is important, which is, you know, Especially in today's day and age where you have things like podcasts, like social media, where you put these quote-unquote business visionaries up on a pedestal, and I don't think these visionaries really exist, or if they do, they have a certain kind of vision we're not talking about in that they don't see the future. They don't see some mythical thing. They don't have the gift of the muse. They just see the present more clearly than most. Because I think a true visionary decides, well, this is what's unfolding in front of my face. I'm going to pull this thread and see where it leads me. I'm going to I'm going to ask big questions and pursue that and not have to be the person that has all the answers. But I want to invite you, the listener, the reader, whomever, to come along on this journey with me as I try to uncover more, better, deeper or next. Right. Like to me, that's what a visionary is. They, they just see the world more clearly Than most and we can all do that it's right in front of our faces but the mentality again you don't need the podcast but it's sort of like that's why writing all the time matters it's like Mm -hmm. you just file away thought after thought get better and better all the time and because it's filed away it's public or at least it's logged somewhere you can access you can reflect reflect back on it what about Um, them
1: how about um so one of the things I learned through this process and I hired a coach for this this part actually was the the importance of outlining which then leads to to, to the first drafts. Can you share your outlining process which and then as that transitions into the draft?
0: Yeah, you know it's funny being a speaker it, it was a another type of sneaky advantage if the podcast and the other content were ways for me to really improve the content, the stories I was telling, you know, the, the insights and the way I articulated those insights or the things that were missing because I was getting feedback all the time. That was kind of like the meat. What about the bones, right? So that was the outline. And the outline actually pulled in some ways from speaking because when you give a keynote, it's a very different type of speech than when you give a breakout. Like a keynote is very much meant to help you think better so you can apply it to many, many scenarios, kind of like handing someone a compass. Whereas a breakout session is like, Here's the map we all agree is important to us. We're only staying in this terrain during this breakout, and I'm about to draw you my directions on the map. So it's more limiting. It could be just useful, but it's more limiting. So with a keynote, there's like a structure to the keynotes I give. And so I use that for the book. It's kind of like, here's the goal we all share. Here's the status quo of how we're trying to come at that. Here are the problems with that status quo. And so the first two things are like, yep, I'm in agreement, Jay. Here's the, yep, that's the goal I have. Yep, that's how we're coming at it. Oh my gosh, I hadn't stopped to consider all the problems with the status quo. And now what do we do? We'll consider this thesis. Here's this like hidden truth. All right, uh, interesting. Hadn't considered it. Or maybe even I'm skeptical. What does this look like? All right, here's a featured story where I can show this to you end to end. That's kind of like my Death Wish coffee Featured story like my signature story in the book and my speeches um, And then you're like, okay, I get what it looks like. How do I do this? How do we enact this back in our, our world wherever we're reading this from well now? Let's go on this journey to find ourselves a process a methodology some heuristics the science behind it etc And then you have this like the meat of the book beyond that So it's kind of like I took my speech took my podcast content Tried to figure out on an outline like how it all fit together But because I had that framework I was able to chunk it a lot more easily
1: I, uh, I I like the style and the, and the manner of the way you think about it. I think especially with those questions and how it relates to the keynote for me, I think it was just having so much content, right? Where do we go? And so the the importance of an outline for me was helping me helping create some sort of direction. So when I sat down to write, okay, I know I'm speaking about okay for, for example, this this is on hiring, For the members, hiring members of your team, right? So that would that would flow in a part of the outline. I I needed to get an overall framework for where I was going to parachute into and play that day, right? Because because if not, you're just going to start writing down random thoughts that whatever is hitting you, as opposed to being a little bit more uh, intentional. Intentional about what you're talking about, what you're thinking about. It'll help with your research as well. So for me, I had to really, and I, and again, I hired this out. I hired someone to help me create my outline to get all the topics in first. That Now, the book ended up being a bit different, but that outline at least got me, steered, I, I would say it helped steer me in the right direction as I sat down to write and and be more focused on a specific yeah. area. So we could share maybe even the show notes, like what some of that looks like, or if you have any specific examples of uh, if someone, let, let's say they just want to be become a better writer, or they want to write blog posts or something, is there an outlining like quick 30, 30, 60 seconds that you have on uh, ideas around outlining for,
0: for someone, even if they're not writing a book? Ooh, you I have to think about that. Okay. I, to me, and this this goes to a later question, which is like, what's something I enjoyed the most that most people would look at me and go, "You're kind of a freak, Jay." Like, it's the writing process. It's the it's the actual thing. I just loved it, and so I think I get away with a little bit less outlining than some because I I really, this this feels like my vocation. I love oh. to write, and that that feels like I, I. It's funny. I I ran cross country in high school, and as a sport, I was doing the punishment of other sports right? Like Hmm. running was the sport. I, I played basketball too. When I played basketball, the punishment was running. Nobody wanted to just straight up run. But yet I did that the season prior as a sport. And I feel like that's me with writing. Like a lot of people in a lot of functions write. And some do it for fun and some do it for email and because they have to, or internally, or it's part of their job as marketers or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no! It's not this necessary evil. It's the thing for me. So uh-huh. I am a freak. I don't think you should go by based on my outlining process.
1: No, I, I think that's interesting because I'm, I'm not that way. I, I, I needed it because I was, I was trying to write this book for really a couple years, and I think having a bunch of random thoughts that weren't really structured in any way, shape, or form is why there wasn't a book earlier. And I think now looking back I'm happy. I'm glad because I'm in a better place with with better ideas and thoughts that are unique to share than I was 2 years ago, but th- but that's the primary reason why cuz there was no yeah. format or or it was just a bunch of random thoughts. And you can't no books aren't going to be useful if they're just a bunch of random thoughts. There's got to be some sort of purpose behind it and some structure to right. make it make you keep turning the page and to make it useful for the reader. So I think we're a little different in that regard, which, which is good Mm because it shows the difference in our processes. Um, okay. The second part I did, well, Ryan,
0: I I just want to make sure I did work with somebody to create what's called a book treatment, which is essentially like, here's like the statements of like, this is what the book is about and who it's for and why I'm writing it. And here's like a rough outline of the chapter breakdown. And then I went to all of my content across that two year journey or however long it actually was. And I basically like, Scanned it all and I was like, yes, this is potentially in the book. No, this is not so I whittled down my backlog I had this book treatment from working with this editor. His name is Josh Burnoff. He writes an amazing book called writing without bullshit um, And I used the book treatment as like the North Star. So there was this one asset that kind of became a pseudo outline for me
1: Gotcha. Okay Um, we talked about the role of our podcast. Do you have anything more to add? I mean, I think I I hit on the the benefits of the podcast or you want to you want to jump to the next next topic
0: No, you know really quick the only thing that helped me um, That I didn't mention was I used I still kind of do this but I used to really do it on an ongoing basis I would send invites to my listeners to do one-on-one video calls with me where I would spend half the call asking questions to learn about them and then the second half trying to help them with whatever they wanted to talk about and if I didn't do that I probably would have written a book about like the creative part of content marketing, because that's where my show started. It was like, I just want to create a show about this because I'm interested in it and more people need to care about it. And then I talked to listeners and I'm like, wait, you're not in marketing. You're an accountant. You're a CFO. You're a, a tech founder. And so the more I started doing these calls, the more the journey evolved. And I could basically start to explore what we all shared and try to find the thread, like the through line, if you will, that tied us all together as a community. And that became the book. So mm. I, the one-on-one video calls to me were the most transformative, I, th- I think, mm. to creating a book that supersedes like what I've done professionally, like the LinkedIn bio that you'll find of me is like, oh, this guy worked in marketing. The book is not a marketing book. And it's because of those calls.
1: Well, that sounds like a good idea, Jay. Uh, last time we talked about the importance of hearing from our audience and how that's fuel for us. I would uh, offer that up again. Uh, Ryan at Learning Leader. If you'd like to set up a call, I'd <laughs> be happy to uh, do a few of these. I think it would be fun. Uh, I think it's a good idea too to understand where your listeners are at. The, the one of I think the aspects of my podcast that I'm most proud of is the caliber of people that listen to it. I mean, some some of the some of the roles. I mean, we have military leaders overseas, CEOs of companies. Amazing individual contributors making a difference in the lives of other people, moms, dads, everything. And I think that that to me, Jay, is I, I'm like, hey, let's what a good idea. So uh, feel free, shoot me a note. I think that would be a fun thing to do is to is to set up a, a few calls. I'm not going to spend all day doing it. I still need to be a creator and publish work, but I think that is a, a good idea. So I will uh, I will steal that and offer it up to the people listening right now.
0: Awesome, it's yours.
1: Okay. Uh, so traditional publishing versus self-publishing versus hybrid publishing. So this is a little bit more inside baseball when it comes to book writing. I had no, I had no clue about any of this before I got into uh, studying the thought of writing a book. So, uh, uh, but I do think it is an interesting topic. So, what are your thoughts on the different methodologies for publishing a book today?
0: The, the There is a use for gatekeepers, which is they provide arguably the same benefit as best practices in some regards, which is it's a shortcut to meaningful work, right? Like, oh, you have a book with so-and-so. That must mean it's a good book because you got through the gatekeeper. Right. I've been somebody who throughout my entire career, I'm sort of defined by side projects, by the lack of gatekeeper, by tinkering and learning and, and doing and building community. And so I just thought, okay, this is, this is who I am. It's my first book. And, and I also have a timeline that's rather quick. Maybe at some point I'll go the traditional route, but I went the hybrid route, which is essentially rather than do every piece myself and upload it and, you know, package it and all that stuff. I provided a service with the entire suit, somewhat completed manuscript. They did, a, they did a final copy edit. I provided them with the design through an art director friend of mine. Um, I even found my own editor to get to the completed manuscript um, and they took it home. So they basically made it into a book, did the ISBN number, all these details that I'm like, I don't want to be really good at that stuff. I want to be really good at teaching and inspiring and writing and creating and helping people see and, and make a difference in what they do. So I need to invest more time into that and less time into you know the things that are more like ticking boxes of the pure self-published route. So I'm not saying you should write off the value of traditional publishers. My bias was, I come out of marketing, I know how to distribute, I know how to promote, I know how to do that stuff better than most people in publishing. And I really, really want to be good at these things. So the rest of the list should go to people that are really, really good at that. And so that went, I went the hybrid route. Um, People who may not be aware, going the hybrid route can be somewhere between um, let's say buying your teenaged child, their first beat up car to buying like a pretty damn nice used car. Like it is not, it's not the cheapest route to go. Um, and you know, you're, you're not, I didn't write the book to make money and we could talk about why I wrote the book and how it's helped my business. But I just want to overshare because I think there's this, um, lack of understanding. It's a bit of a black box in what people tend to pay uh, when they actually do publish a book, it's not something where you're doing it to get famous or make money That's not why you should write a book uh, Great point. So
1: I want the traditional route um, and there's a there's a lot that goes into this um, I Was listening to and I believe it was one of Koppelman's podcast with Seth Godin and I was actually this was years ago But I was quite surprised Seth uh, Brian or, or I believe it was his show was asking him uh, you probably get asked to blurb books, blurb, like, you know, write a little for those who who, who haven't asked for book blurbs, right? Do you see the 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 endorsements of, of famous people on books? Uh, I, I happen to have a, a number of them, which uh, is another topic, uh, Jay, for you and I to talk about where we've did uh, done different things. But anyway. Very I, different, yeah. Yeah, I heard Seth say... Um, uh, I, will, I will never blurb a book if it was self-published. Um, I will only blurb traditionally published books. And that was I, I was really taken aback. Uh, that was surpri- I was surprising to hear. Um, but I, I would be lying if I say it didn't have impact on me. And so part of my process was I wanted to create leverage for myself and I wanted to have options. And, and, and deep down, if I'm being completely honest, I wanted to see if I could write something good enough, that one of the big houses would say yes, we will pay you a book advance, and we will take care of everything when it comes to publishing your book. Uh, in in a way, as someone who uh, before this was not an author, uh, was was more of a speaker and a podcaster, I thought that that in a way would make me feel, I guess, and I again I hate admitting this, maybe a little bit more legitimate. Um, the fact that I could, I could get a, a traditional book deal like a lot of the people I've had on my show where you, they, they pay you in advance before you even get the book done. And then if you, when you turn it in, you get another part of that advance. And uh, certainly we can talk about the financials on the back end of, of, of the amount of books I have to sell before I start uh, out earning my advance. Um, but I at I, I least wanted to see if, people, if I could do it. But then, but I wasn't, I wasn't guaranteed. I told my book agent, this literary agent, Jim Levine, who is a, an incredible literary agent. I told Jim, I'm not going to, I'm not promising you that I'm going to accept an offer, but I do want to see if I could get some. And so he goes, okay, I understand. So we put it up for bid and we got a few offers and he goes, I think you should, at minimum, you should talk to some of the lead editors from, 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 uh, these companies, and the first one that I had a call with, and I remember because I was in the car driving home from Chicago. My wife and I had just seen the show Hamilton. We were driving home the next day, and Casey Ebro, one of the senior editors at McGraw-Hill, called me, and we talked for half of that drive home for me, which is a couple hours, uh, on the phone together, and she had read everything I'd written from the very first word to the last word of that proposal, and that was it was a giant proposal and just got it and she loved it and i thought i don't i don't care if there's no advance i don't want to say this publicly cuz maybe the next one casey will be like great we don't have to give you an advance but i don't i didn't care if there was no advance i was going to write that book with casey that was i told Miranda, my wife right and i hung up i go i'm going with casey i know there're some other offers they may even be higher it doesn't matter i'm going with them because of her and so really for me it was about building a relationship with someone that just really got it and understood what I was trying to do, um, and and so that's why I decided. It. And and now you know I have the the copies in hand and it's it's beautiful and I'm very proud of it. And Casey was a big reason for the for I think the 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 success at least of uh, or at least the fact that I believe the work is is very high quality. And mm. uh, I would say that's that's why I decided to say yes, I'm going to go that route because I built a relationship with an incredible. Uh, writer and editor who was not afraid at all to put me in my place in a, on, on a regular basis by marking the thing to death. When I got the first one back, uh, I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, I don't think, she probably thinks <laughs> I she probably thinks I can't even write. The whole thing was marked up. And I, I actually got a text from Zvi Band. I don't know if you know Zvi; He was a CEO of Contactually. He's been on my show a few times. And Zvi texted me and he said, hey, dude, uh, I worked with Casey as well. She's the greatest, but don't be alarmed when your first draft is marked up to death. That's just that's just the way it goes. And and, and I said, you know what? I'm grateful because it's going to be better. And I called Casey and told her that. I said, I'm, I'm grateful. I think it's going to be a lot better. And, <laughs> and and it is. It's a lot better because of, of the work that she did. So that is, I know you. it's a long answer, but I know that's why I, I want that traditional route.
0: Yeah. I wish this this brings to mind, like I wish we would stop saying I'd like to write a book or I'd like to, host a podcast if we'd all be a lot better off and happier if we knew what it was actually like we should start saying i'd like to edit a book i'd like to edit a podcast because that's actually the work that's actually the real work oh my goodness it's putting down a lump of amorphous uncertain stuff and shaping it into something great and neil gaiman likes to say it's it's the second draft is like making it look like you knew what you were doing all along (laughs) <laughs> so I love that you had I had my editor Jordan Tyker Jordan is a phenomenal freelance writer he's the editor-in-chief at Contently which is a software company but he's written for the Wall Street Journal and The Ringer and places I admire the New Yorker and he he helped me edit and oh, oh boy was that a blow to the old ego <laughs> as somebody who has the who wanted total control and that's why another reason I self-published or hybrid published I wanted total control oh my <laughs> Getting a real professional writer and editor like that on board for someone who thinks he's a writer—that'll eat. You'll be eating humble pie. Let me tell you. But
1: but in a way, I don't know about you. Like I loved it though because best all thing for me. All the I saw what I what I was thinking, and I printed it out and showed it to my wife. I remember, I said my book's going to be so much better. It's going to be so much better because of this. And and so I, I was very grateful. I still am. And and. Uh, yeah, it, it was just a, a pretty remarkable to see the the first draft, which I still have, uh, to now what's in the book. Uh, yeah, it's a lot better. It's it's a lot better. So, um, okay, <laughs> all right, we're in the we're in the back third. We should
0: go to superlatives. Okay,
1: okay, here we go.
0: Um,
1: okay, why don't you take superlatives? Go ahead.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is one I came up with. What's the platitude about writing? Whether it's books or you know even just general creativity, but the platitude you found most true during this process and least true.
1: Okay, can I tell a quick story for the most true, real quick? I'll yeah. try to make it quick. I, you always get me talking longer than any other person <laughs> I talk to. So uh, I was in I, I went to up to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Miranda and I. Went to Columbus, Ohio to have dinner with James and Christy Clear, James's wife. James wrote Atomic Habits, sold 1.1 million copies in the first 51 weeks. Blew my mind, right? He writ- writes at his web- uh, website, jamesclear.com. So anyway, I built a friendship because we live you know within an hour of each other. And I did a live show with James once. And so um, we were going back to, ha- to have dinner. And uh, we were sitting down, and I was telling Christy that I was working on a book. And I had not sold my proposal yet. Uh, and she was like, oh, and she's, she's literally one of the sweetest people on the planet It's like as good as it gets. And, and I remember she looked at me and she goes, well, what time do you write every day? And I kind of stopped for a second and I, I didn't really know what to say. And I go, uh, uh, you know, stuttering, um, what, what do you mean? And, and she just goes, oh, I just know, you know, James writes every day and, you know, people who write books write every day. And, and but she didn't say it like in a mean way. She said it like the most kind and sweet way ever, but just matter of fact. And it really like I, I played it cool like at the dinner. Right. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, but I was thinking, oh, my gosh, like I'm not a writer. I don't write every day. And it, 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 it actually set me on like a path of having a calendar and accountability partner of putting down the number of words I would write a day. And it all started with that conversation with James and Christie, where basically the gist of that story is writers, write writers write and they write every day. And so I know that's been said before, but that is one that I absolutely believe. And I felt it like deep inside when those words (laughs) were said to me by one of the sweetest people ever. And so I, I think that's, that's the most for me. How about
0: you? I love hearing that. I used to, When I played basketball in school, it was shoot or shoot. I was that scrawny white guy who played defense and shot threes. So I love <laughs> writers, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the most true to me, or the most true platitude, I heard uh, the host of Radiolab, which is one of my all-time favorite podcasts, Jad Abumrad. He once said that telling these stories the way he tells them, they're very layered, very complex, very nuanced. It's like trying to find your way through a jungle. And eventually, you end up finding your way out. And it feels so good. But while you're in it, it never feels like there's a way out. And every episode I ever shipped of Unthinkable, every episode I ship of my current podcast, Three Clips, every episode I share of client shows and certainly everything I wrote for the book, there was a lot of that. Even the things I was treading over a second or third time, it always felt like I can't see the way out. Like. When I finish it, I'm like, I don't, is this awesome? Is this terrible? It could be, I don't, I don't know. For the first time ever, I felt that way. And so that was a cliche that I always written off. I'd always written off, but I saw it in spades with my podcast and I Mm. saw it with a whole deck of cards when I wrote the book.
1: Mm. Uh, Okay. Least true. Um, So this one's a little tough for me, but again, I I mentioned it briefly uh, earlier on some of the advice I've gotten from some really good writers were you, you basically have to put everything else on hold. And not necessarily go off in a cabin, although some do. Uh, but put everything else on hold and write, and do nothing but write your book. And and for me, that just was not realistic. I was I was giving a bunch of keynotes, I was working with clients, I was running leadership circles, all while doing this. And I will say, doing that made the book better. Specifically, when I think about the Q and As in my leadership circles as well as on stage and even as we've talked about before on the side of the stage afterwards the questions you're asked from people those can be really helpful prompts at least they were for me prompts to think about so I'd immediately go back to my hotel room and write down some of the questions and write down some of my answers and better answers than I gave to them sometimes and they would they would create ideas for me that maybe would get injected into the book and so for me the least true was that you have to go away and do nothing but write Uh, that part of it and I don't and I know Oh, that probably is true for some, but for me, that is not true. Hey
0: Amen. Wasn't true for me at all. I was running a business. I was speaking. I was doing multiple client podcasts as a host and a producer. Not not true at all. Um, the least true for me was there's this platitude of being a best-selling author. I've even seen some authors who I know have never actually made a list that is the best-selling author list, and they will put in their Twitter bio <laughs> "best-selling author." Um, it's just become really cheap and and people who are in the industry know you can bulk purchase books, you, your organization, whomever, and that rockets you up the lists. So I don't value that list personally, but others seem to. So why would I play into that? Like why would I need to feel like this is only a success if it's a best selling book? I'm a good selling author and I'm proud of it. Um <laughs> but here's the thing so don't write a book to be a best selling author. Um, write a book because you think it has to exist. Mm. And I guarantee you if that's true you will agonize over it you will care about it You will find the space in your life to write it You will find your voice and share it say something meaningful and try to shift the culture in a positive way And and the things like sales and acclaim to me those are byproducts Like I don't think the word great exists when you're a creator of something that's for someone else to assign to you There is no such thing as great And if you assume the role of a writer or an author, that's what you're thinking. There's no such thing as great here There's only better Mm. So I want to get better with every draft. I want to get better with every day. I want to get better with everything I write. Um, And to me, that shifted my view of what a book really is because it's not the start of something. It's not like now I have this sellable product. Um, I like what Seth Godin talks about where he says a nonfiction book in particular is a souvenir of the idea. The real work is – he said something about getting the idea out there consistently. (laughs) Right? It's not a secret. It's not bottled up in the book. It's not like I'm giving you just enough so you'll buy it. I'm sharing everything and anything because I want this to exist. I want to help shift the culture for the better. So that's honestly why I wrote the book. And there's a little bit of a, a fetishism around the, the idea of best selling, and, and I can't stand it.
1: Really good stuff. You know, you're speaking my language with all the better talk. That's, <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay. Uh, most used, you want me to go first? You want to go first? Most useful uh, habit you take or routine? It. Okay. Yeah. Most useful habit. Most useful habit. Um, Okay, I'm gonna just choose one. I had a few about writing in the morning and candles and all this stuff, but I, uh, that that'll I'll bypass that one. I, the one I'll'll say though is that I actually learn a lot through talking. Uh, shocker, uh, considering that I uh, record a podcast for a living. But uh, so what I would do because I under I understand this about myself, is that I would, uh, regularly ask people that were very close to me to sit in a room with me, usually for hours. And a lot of them, we did record these, by the way. I don't think I'll ever release them, but we did record them. And they're usually with a uh, a smart person who was willing to be hard on me. And so I'll name a few of them. One of them was my dad. Uh, he, he was incredibly helpful through this process of just regularly creating prompts. And then I would ask him some questions and then he would get me going and then I would jot notes and I would type some notes. And by the end of those sessions, I'd have a bunch of notes. Another one, though, and this is this is what I think uh, could be helpful for other people is that my, my friend Lance Salyers, who I met when I worked at LexisNexis, we'd always have these sessions where we'd be in one of, our, you know, I'd be in his office or he'd be in mine, and he'd be up on the board writing, and we used to be talking about ideas and ways to make the organization better. Lance is a former prosecutor, so his role in life for 10 years, more than a decade, was to be persuasive. And I think great writers are persuasive. And so he would be very hard on me and push on me about my ideas to ensure that they were persuasive enough to go into the book. And then he'd ask me these really helpful questions and then follow-up questions that forced me to go deeper. And so I would sit in the room with, with with my a few of my friends, usually one or two. They'd ask me questions. I would jot notes. I would type notes. And then after the sessions were over, usually take a nap, but then after that – I would go back to my computer by myself and then just dump everything out based upon the prompts, the ideas, the things we were talking about, and then edit that after the fact. And that became a very useful process for me to get what was in my head down on the page and then worry about editing later.
0: Love that. That's Mm -hmm. such a good answer. Uh, My habit I was living in Queens at the time. I live in Cambridge now. I was living in Queens. There was a coffee shop down the street called Queens Room. Shout out, Queens Room. Um, as Charles Barkley liked to, likes to say, nobody gets free pub. I'm giving Queens Room free pub. <laughs> um, so Queens Room down the street from my apartment about two blocks away, every Thursday, that was writing day, period. I'd spend a ton of time in Queens Room, but it didn't matter where. I would write all day on Thursday. But I would, my goal would then be two mornings, aside from Thursdays, I would be the first one at Queens Room when it opened. I'd get the same drink, I'd sit in the same chair and I'd write until I felt like I was really like struggling. And some days that was 11 and some days that was one. I forgot to eat lunch or it was basically like, I'm going to write until, uh, and then I'd take a break and get back to the rest of my work. So that was the most helpful routine T- to those listening. I would add this, and this is really kind of like reflecting on my own book, break the wheel. It doesn't matter what best practice you use part all, none. What matters is you find the best approach for you, right? This mm-hmm. is what works for me and Ryan, but it's really easy to feel process shamed. It's like, oh, I don't have that thing. Or uh-huh. he said that the ultimate truth is X, Y, or Z, and it sounded super pithy and tweetable. That doesn't mean it's the truth for you. So I just want to throw that out. We're talking a lot like this is gospel. It is absolutely not. It's about what finding things that work best for you.
1: Perfect. Okay. I'll hit a couple more of these. Or do you want, what what's supposed do you want to hit are there other ones? Uh we got a, we got a lot written down here. We'll just hit a few of them, I think.
0: Let's go. Can we do one to two sentences each? That's our biggest challenge as podcasters. Let's you try. You
1: know, man, that is close <laughs> to impossible. I
0: will try, but I'm not challenge gonna pr- I'm not going
1: to promise that. Okay. Okay, okay. go ahead.
0: Mo- T- most most surprising lesson. I'll I'll go first. Most okay. surprising lesson. How ineffectual all these like social media graphics that share quotes are actually. Like very little engagement. Very little people really? who do engage. I was about ready
1: to start creating all these things, man. Are you serious? No, no i just kidding. <laughs>
0: biggest waste of time really? ever. It's a best practice. Yeah. It's huh. so visible. Everyone does it. Biggest waste of time ever.
1: Okay. <laughs> my my lesson is completely different. What my lesson was is that I I don't think you fully realize what you don't know until you try to write in depth about something. <laughs> That's why I, needed, I would bring in other people. So for me, I, I think writing really forces you to be clear on what you believe. And so... Uh, sitting down, saying I'm going to write about this specific topic, forces clarity of thought, and also at times can be really frustrating because you're like, "What do I have to say about this that is useful?" So that that was probably uh, I was I guess I was a little bit surprised because I thought I know everything here, and and I realized that I didn't as I started writing.
0: I'm gonna I'll accept the answer only because it was three sentences, okay. but there was one run on in that. So just you know, shape up, Hawk. <laughs> shape up.
1: Okay. All right. What's next? Um,
0: all right, hardest part. You go first.
1: Uh, um, hating myself after reading some of my first drafts. Honestly, mm-hmm. like it sounds really bad, but I mean, legitimately thinking, am I going to have to pay their money back? Um, is this good enough? Is this original enough? And you, and you just got to get through it. You have to get through it. And I always, not always, but most of the time, I did. But yeah, like having this this thought of that I'm, I'm not good enough, uh, at parts during it was the hardest part for me.
0: I want someone to respond to my hardest part answer with like such positive, oh my God, right type answer that, cause I just need the catharsis. So, but this is very specific to folks who've done anything big like a book or anything that takes a while, I should say not big. Um, the hardest part for me is what happens to the material after you publish it. So like right now, as we speak, oh. I wish I could go back and rewrite it or I wish I could do my interview with you about the book for the first time again, because I've continued to talk about this stuff. I've continued to think about it. So my, it's walk, better now. my walk to the coffee shop, I'll, a new idea will pop to mind. Like it's better now, right? So the idea lives on well past the book. That's why the book is a souvenir, according to the, that Seth Godin quote. But I'm, I would be way better at writing this book right now. And I'm better when I appear on a podcast to talk about it. I'm better on stages like it's just you continue to live with it and shape it and mold it and go deeper and deeper. And that's what's that's what's hard the, or you, hardest,
1: you know, it was helpful for me. And I actually was fortunate. I did the audio read for my book. So if you buy it on audible iBooks or any 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 place you get the the uh, to listen to the book, which I know that's a lot more common now, especially probably people who listen to podcasts. Um, I actually Change parts of my book after reading it out loud. I had never read it out loud until that moment. So I'm sitting in a room in a studio with these audio engineers, multiple people watching me read my book. And I would stop, I would take a picture, I would send it to Casey from uh, Ebro at McGraw Hill and say, Casey, when I get home tonight, I'm going to change this part. And I go, Please tell me we have some time. Unfortunately we did. So I don't know, just a side note for anyone writing. Read your work out loud. It is hard, but it also is helpful. So just a just a that, side note. Yeah.
0: Yes. Best advice read on writing I've ever received, ever.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um let's do do you want to go with the story, best story from the book, or what do you think? I have an uh, 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 No, you wanna go something else? I, let let's, a, let's do something else. Let me hit let me hit that one real quick. Um I was sending some of my stories uh, to others throughout the course of writing the book and I'm not going to share the whole story, but what I will say is um, I got feedback again. I'm fortunate to build relationships with podcast guests. So I hate feeling like I'm name dropping, but, but, but I send the, the book to, to people who have been on my show uh, and it's like first draft stages. And I remember uh, I was in Hilton. You can name think. drop.
0: You can name okay. drop. It was this right. guy just, named it's, Jay. It's just awkward. It's
1: awkward, but I, I was He's in... super
0: awesome. Yes. His yes. name's Jay. So and... I
1: was at a, uh, Hilton Head, actually, we were on vacation and I got an email back from Ryan holiday and it, and it said, dude, why is your best story on page 45? It should be on page one. And I remember I called him and I said, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, that keeps me turning the page, but you dumped it in the middle of the book. So I will just say I did move it to the beginning of the book because of that email and mm-hmm. that phone call. So anyway, that's that's just an interesting story about the process of of, of writing. Okay, what's another one you want to hit?
0: Uh, I like – we did the hardest part. What about the easiest part for you that others might have said would be hard?
1: <laughs> so this is the, definitely the one I was going to skip. This is uh, – of your rundown you sent me, this is the only one where I have no notes. I'm just speaking <laughs> truth. I honestly – I don't know if any part of it was easy. So uh, you're gonna have to take the whole. The, you're gonna have to brunt the 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 this answer for both of us because I was trying to think of like what was really easy that other people thought was hard. I'm not. I'm not there yet. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Asking
0: asking me to fill time dangerous proposition, my okay. friend. Dangerous. Okay. Uh, I'll run with that. So no, I, I think what this speaks to. I'm gonna try and see if this is your answer. Let's see if we could do this here. Could be. You, you. It's so maybe it's so obvious that you didn't notice it. You knew what you were exploring. Like you were doing the work to explore it for years, for 300 plus podcast episodes, for speech after speech, email after email, tweet after tweet. Like you immersed yourself in this. You went on a journey of understanding, Mm -hmm. which made you somebody worth following into this domain versus what I see, I think, entirely too much, which is, well, I did this personally, Mm -hmm. so you should do this too. And I think that's a really, really, really inefficient way and really insufficient way of writing a nonfiction book, which is basically like, it worked for me. Clearly it'll work for you. Maybe something that happened to you tips you onto the journey of discovery and exploration and research, but that was something you were just living day to day. So to me, that's really hard for people to do. What do I want to explore and how? And the hard part is not even just the selection of those topics, but the getting going in that direction, Hmm. like tipping from not acting to acting, like, trying to come up with the idea in theory to, I have no idea. It's like the, the headphones in your pocket with the wire that gets all tangled when you take it out. The only way to figure this stuff out is you start pulling and prodding and poking and pushing and eventually it gets nice and smooth and you get what you wanted. But the only way to solve that puzzle is you just got to start trying stuff. And you've been doing that for years. Huh?
1: Well, I appreciate that. I, I think what's the interesting thing about that is, is again, um, I was just really following what I was most curious about, and I think like, – I don't know if that was easy, but it was it just, it just what I wanted to do, right? And I think that's why it's important as you – and I had, to, I had to kind of mature and grow up a little bit to figure that out. But, but for me, this kind of journey of following what I'm most curious and passionate about was kind of what – like the, 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 the reason outside of my family, it was like the reason to wake up every day. It's what I was thinking about the most outside of them. And so, yeah, I I guess it became just a natural part of my being and still is. It's still my favorite thing to do, Jay, in the world is to have a long-form conversation with an intelligent, thoughtful person who can tell good stories. It's my favorite thing to do, which is this, right? Podcasting is still, after all these years, my favorite thing to do and then trying to deconstruct and distill that to its essence and then share that whether it's on another podcast or in the form of a book that that is just man like it really you can probably tell like that's what gets me going daily
0: I love it and it, it is something I think is very hard for many very many people where you said you followed your curiosity mm-hmm. you said I just followed my curiosity yeah well you take away that just and that's how a lot of people feel because you were willing to act as if mm-hmm. as if this is important enough to follow as if you were the person to do it as if The things you were publishing were worth your time. There's a lot of things you were doing that maybe came naturally or maybe over time became habit that I think it it is difficult. And people would look at you and be like, wow, how'd you do that? And it came easy to you. So so kudos to you. And I already mentioned mine, which is just I like to write and the writing process sucks for so many people. So we can we can skip mine because yours was such a good answer. I just don't want to follow that up. Well, my answer was your answer. But uh, oh, that's you, why you I got think it from, a good answer. Yeah, no.
1: of course. <laughs> right, right. I, I, remember, I think you told me on one of these that we did together that flattery will get you very far. So uh, I remember that. Uh, and it's true. So uh, l- l- actually, do you have I, I do want to share my editor's favorite part. I've talked about yeah. her a lot on this show. Do you have one that you want to share or you want me to go?
0: You know, I don't have an editor's favorite part. How about this? Since I come out of the marketing yeah. world and I've been doing – like the my book has been in a while longer with um, than yours because congratulations. It's now live uh, for you. So I, I'll do my superlative around the most effective promotional approach. Okay, uh, And you can do the one around your editor or publisher's favorite part. Okay. Okay. So why don't we start with yours?
1: Um Casey told me, and she wrote this in a note, which was cool to see, and then called me afterwards and says, my job is to read nonfiction bu- business books for a living. I've been doing it for many years, so I've read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these types of books. Chapter six, what's under the, the, the section titled, you have to do all three, I've never read anything like it, and it's, the, it's impacted me greatly, and in fact, I'm going to use it in my life. That is great. And and if we could, if it wouldn't completely mess up the structure of the book, I would put that at the very beginning. That's how much I believe in that part. And uh, I just want to make sure you know that. So normally we wouldn't put, put what I think is, is such a compelling part that is useful and practical for the reader at that part of the book. But we have to based on the structure, but you should just know that. And I would talk to people about that. So I'm not going to go into it, but in chapter six, a section titled You Have to Do All Three is my editor who reads business books for a living, her most useful and favorite part of the book.
0: I love that. My you know I'm sell I a little bit back. here,
1: Jay. Like, we are teasing. We're selling. We're doing our part. But it's hey, true. listen. 100% true. I'll post the email if I need to. But it, it is uh, – I, I know we all trust each other. But it, it was very me- – the reason I share and I'm excited about it is because it was very meaningful for me to hear that. Uh, be- because you know how it is. Like, you put your ideas, ideas out there. It – you know, you just you just don't know. You you're just not certain how they're going to be received. And so, when someone who tells me I've read more business books than anybody you're going to meet in your life says that part is really good, that that was a meaningful day for me.
0: Okay, so this brings me back to the organization that I run, Marketing Showrunners. We we want to we always say that we want to help marketers build their audience's favorite show, so podcast or video doesn't matter. Favorite show to be their favorite brand. But the reason we're talking about the word favorite is. It, when you're putting something out in the world, somebody should find something about it that either in that moment or the entire project, they're like, that's one of my favorites mm-hmm. ever. According to every list on every media, like whether it's for a specific purpose, favorite career book, whether it's a medium, favorite book, favorite chapter, um, something in there should fall under, wow, that's my favorite. Cause I think a lot of times when you create media of any kind, you focus on reach and what we actually should be focusing on is resonance. Mm. And so I love that you told me a story of resonance because there's too many authors appearing in too many places, including their own shows, and they're hyping the numbers. And you are hyping this like hidden moment that's, that speaks volumes about you. And I'm just so happy to hear that that's actually something that happened.
1: Cool, thank you. No most effective promote I'm gonna learn here. Uh, I'm curious because okay. I have some ideas But what's most effective promote? I assume it's uh, the tweets with the little uh, quotes from your book, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all the dozens and dozens I did No, know um, So that I did one before and one after so okay. the thing I did before is I created a gumroad landing page It could be any kind of tool. I make no money by saying gumroad but gumroad um, where you could basically create a landing page and people could submit pre-orders before the book was ready and it was the largest single lump sum of sales that was sold through any one channel, aside from bulk book orders coming through my speaking engagements. But my lesson there was that the book is a culmination. It's kind of the final gift to folks who had been on the journey with me all along. So it was, you know, looking at who that was, it was people who followed me on social media, but people I knew, like people I'd engaged with online or offline or both, people from my email list, uh, longtime podcast subscribers, like it was this event that it was like, hey, we've been on this journey for a while. And here's kind of like where I think we're at. This is like the mountain peak that we've reached. Now, what you find after you publish one book is you're on a mountain range, not one mountain. Um, But it's like, okay, we just went through this jungle together. Now we're at the peak. We can sort of see more clearly. And here is this final thing. Let's enjoy the view for a moment together. Um, so that was something I did. It was like the pre-launch, you know, I did some signed copies and some stickers and notebooks and things like that. Um, after launch, instead of trying to like hype for reach, I decided who can I just go really deep with one to one. Um, and I created about 50 to 60 gratitude videos. Where I just strung up some landing pages in MailChimp really easily, same template for everybody, but I customized the language on it and I filmed like really quick, like either on my phone when I was walking to a coffee shop or on my laptop, if I had a batch session scheduled, thank you videos. Like, hey, Ryan, like I can't thank you enough. Like you saw in me the ability to have a great conversation. You thought my insights were worth coming on your show that one time. I can't thank you enough. Right. And I would like expand on that a little bit. And I just did 50 to 60 of those. And Forget if they shared it with other people, just the responses I got and the relationships that I maintained and or deepened, that alone was worth it, right? Mm. And and gratitude is one of the best ways to experience happiness in your life as actual science and studies show. Um, And so that was one way for me to practice a gratitude exercise. So I just felt great too. So that was the thing I did after the launch. And it was, um, yeah, it's like even if I didn't have the book, I almost wish I'd done that sooner.
1: I love it. That's something, uh, just jotting down notes, by the way, just my one quick, uh, pre-launch for the last six months, we've been building a, 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 launch team. And, uh, these are all people are listening right now. They're listeners of the show that have opted in and they get an early copy of the book. And, uh, their, their whole mission is, is to, we're working to create an army of learning leaders to go out there and spread this message one person at a time, word of mouth marketing, as good as it gets, right? A true, honest referral to say, this will help you. And so those hundreds of people that have opted in for that, that have signed up to say, yes, I will do this. Uh, I'm so grateful for them. And I know a lot of them are listening right now. Uh, it's go time, right? Like now it's like the real go time to, to really spread the message, to get it out there for, for everybody to share why this could be useful for them, uh, for my new book. So, uh, great stuff, Jay. Okay. You want to hit a few of the parts in the, uh, I guess the C block of your outline here when it comes to ways that we could, uh, some things that could be helpful. Hopefully the whole thing has been helpful, but, but maybe some things more specific to, uh, people listening that they could implement right now to, to, to help them out.
0: Yeah. Let's, I think, okay. let's start with this. Okay. The, the creation process for me, and you could insert writing if that's the way you create, but, um, making stuff for me has always been about, finding the answers, not sharing the answers. And yes, sometimes if you read something from me, it's like this guy has this one question answered. Thank you. Um, but I assure you it's because what you didn't see was five, six, seven, eight, nine different times, however many thousands of times, if you want to go that far back in my career, like I was trying to figure this out, right. Or I was writing. And I think so often in in the workplace or even just solo in our own careers, we want to gather up all the answers we think we need to justify acting Whereas I think it's far better to act to find your answers. And so if you're thinking about writing a book, a blog, a newsletter, I think position yourself as this is an exercise. This is my constant self-improvement process of showing up doing the work, finding and honing my voice. And yes, eventually I'd like this to maybe shift the culture. But if you start with, I have this grand aspiration, it's very easy. I'm not saying this will happen, but it's very easy now to start looking sideways at everybody else, start disassociating yourself and what you can do from others uh, because they're on step 700 and you're on step one or zero, right? So for me, that's how I always orient. And I have this writing ritual where, um, on my phone in, on my laptop in gap time I punch out really short blog posts three to five times a week and sometimes I'll pick one thing and I'm like I don't understand that well why does this happen in the workplace and I'm just gonna write random thoughts on it over and over again and sometimes it's just all over the place but it's just this commitment to yourself not to others to yourself to show up on a recurring basis to, and to keep striving for better so again instead of trying to get the theory right then make the thing I would just start making the thing and you'll be so shocked and grateful for how deep the well actually goes.
1: How is that I've I've been reading your base close to daily blog type writing. How has that uh impacted you, whether it's from response or just your own internal thoughts from publishing so frequently? How has it impacted you?
0: Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, I always feel like I have a better day when I write. Mm. If I've written something and put it out into the world, I'm like checking the box. I did my job today, right? I showed up. It's not like I'm in the mood or things were perfect or this is the greatest thing I've ever written. It's like I did my job. I'm a, to me, that's what being a professional writer means.
1: It's like real real quick, if I interrupt saying that my brother and I and and AJ, he would, he would say this to me frequently and, and it really impacted me and it's very simple, but he would say it's easy to work out when you feel good. But we got to work out every day. That's part of what, I what, as a professional athlete, that's part of his mantra. But in college, we would say that to each other because we had a rule that we weren't going to not have fun in college, but we were never not going to show up to the first workout the next morning, no matter what. So if you wanted to go out and have a good time and do what you do when you're in college, we were going to, we were going to be at the 5 a.m. lift. Not because we felt good. Oftentimes we didn't because that's what we do. And I think that's very similar, Jay, to yours is that you don't necessarily feel like it every day, but that's a part of who you are, right, is that you're going to do that. You're the type of person that is thoughtful and is going to write on a a regular basis because it's hard. Most people aren't able to do it. The consistency part is really hard to continue to do.
0: Right. And look, there's a million ways to learn. I learn best by trying stuff and uh-huh. doing and reflecting back on what I've tried. And so and then supplementing that with consuming smart or inspirational things like, you know, as an incremental improvement to what I'm doing. But the fundamentals always been making. And if you think of like there's this is kind of a weird analogy, but like there's some video games that I used to play as a child that the the map of the video game, you're playing Zelda and you're exploring a medieval looking area. The map starts out as All in shadow and you're in this one region which you can actually see and the more you play the game the more you poke around and explore the map starts to become colored there's light shed on more parts of the map until you can see more clearly you can see more things and I feel like that to me is how I feel when I write these little blog posts if writing is exploring I essentially give myself the ability to take a lot more steps Mm -hmm. and to shed light on more of the map and eventually what's gonna happen is Either I'm going to run out of room exploring a specific topic and I'll move on and get a new map. Or if, if the map here in the analogy is just everything I could possibly explore, I'm going to die. And I'm going to what however much progress I made. That's what I made. And it's like, oh, my God, if that's the case, well, I better get going today. Right. That yeah. we have a finite number of time here. Like I better actually use that time. So writing is exploring to me. It's not saying I've explored and here's the answer.
1: Writing to, is is the ultimate exercise to help you find clarity, no doubt. Think think about it; like it, it, you, it really helps you understand what you believe, what you think, by by writing, by getting it down on the page. And this is why it could be useful for anybody, especially people who are in leadership positions. It is very important that you understand what you believe and what you think; that you have clarity of thought. So create that for yourself by writing. You don't have to publish it. But that leads to my next point that I think the future of networking is not going to be conferences. It's not necessarily going to be uh, meeting people in person all the time. I think it's going to be publishing your work online. David Perel and James Clear talk a lot about this right now. I, like, I love both of their, their the pieces that they regularly publish. But, but writing... And pub- or publishing great work, and I felt this mainly through podcasting, but publishing great work is the ultimate networking tool. You attract the type of people, assuming it's excellent work, you attract the type of people that you want to be around. And so I, I would urge people, that's another reason why it's worth it to work on this skill. Because if you're regularly publishing good work, people are going to say, that Jay Akonzo is kind of interesting. I saw what he was writing about. Hmm. I want to talk to him and so all of a sudden now you're attracting the type of people that you want to attract because you've had the guts to publish your work to be judged by all and I think that is the ultimate form of networking I think it's currently that way and I think it will, will be even more moving forward
0: my challenge to people is to find not the writing routine the blog post the big idea like again there's there are some ways that this could all come across as process shaming and and I'm acutely aware like when I hear a writer who has sold a ton of books or written a ton or someone I admire, it's, it's like, well, I'm not them. And I, you know, it, it tends to, it, it's easy to spiral in a negative direction. And so what I, what my challenge is to people is, so the feeling I have when I'm writing on my personal block, because this is what works for me is the same feeling I have when I curl up into the corner of my couch and put on a show at the end of a long day with a snack and a cup of tea or a nice glass of wine or something like that. It's just like, this is my cozy corner hidden from the world. It's truly, and now it's, it's insane to say that because it's public and everything I do is public and it's part of my business. But to me, I have this little carved out niche where I could care less about anybody else and it's all about that one moment And that feeling that, like, this is for me. Ah, how great is this? (laughs) So my, my challenge to people is not to copy any of the things Ryan or I are saying, but to think about what is my cozy little corner of this here internet or career, even if it's private, not on the internet, that I can just return to day after day after day.
1: Man, this is great. I think we're getting better. What do you think?
0: <laughs> I've just so enjoyed both the opportunity to speak to you, talking to the listener here, uh, and to you, Ryan, and, and also the ability to like hear how people have been affected positively by the things we're saying so you know my overture to everybody is as you make progress on any of this stuff please close the loop like tweet me Mm -hmm. ryan ryan gave you his email you know what we want to do is continue to have an impact here uh even though we do have fun just doing this selfishly for us like we're trying to to serve and so please close the loop and let us know how how we're doing on that
1: you you know jay scott belski told me on my show that He tries to surround himself and and sometimes hire people who are more interesting each time he has a conversation with them. And that is absolutely true with you. And so I just want to thank you for that, man, that each time we talk, text, even if we're not recording, each time we talk, you're a more interesting person. And I love surrounding myself with those types of people because it makes for an interesting life. And uh I, I loved how the Scott put that. And I think it's 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 something for all of us to strive to is like what could I do? What could my daily actions be if I was working to be a more interesting person every day? And one of the ways to do that is to be interested, right? Interested in who you're talking to and the topics that you're studying, the places you travel. Uh, I, I think that is a great way. And and, and so anyway, Jay, uh, thank you, man. I, I just really appreciate uh, all of our conversations. I, I am better because of it. And Let's let's keep let's keep doing these, man. Well, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll let's request some feedback from our listeners here, and and we'll figure out what the next topic is. But certainly, this one is timely based upon my book coming out this week.
0: Uh, thank you. So- that was incredible to hear, mm-hmm. and thank you. Uh, and to everyone listening, go pick up Ryan's book. He's doing meaningful work. He is showing up. He's he is to me the consummate service-minded leader and uh, somebody that I I have long admired. So uh, you know, first of all, congratulations, my friend, and mm-hmm. and second of all, let's all all go support not just Ryan, but I think this movement that Ryan is trying to build that we're all a part of and I can contribute to as well. So if a visionary is someone who who asks the big question and goes on the journey, not somebody who has all the answers. Ryan has certainly been living that for years and years, and, and we can all pick up our own machetes, so to speak, and go <laughs> hacking away in the jungle with Ryan. So I think we should do that. And I think an important tool uh, is his book. So that's my plug for going and picking it up right now. Thank you, man. Until next time. We'll see you. Thank you so much to you for listening, to Ryan Hawk for letting me basically syndicate our conversation from his show over to ours. Uh, definitely check out Ryan's book, which came out today, the day we're launching this episode here and on The on Learning Leader Show. Check out his book, Welcome to Management. It's perfect for people who aspire to be team leaders or are now moving into those roles. Ryan is on a mission to rid the world of bad bosses, not only with his book, but also with his podcast, The Learning Leader Show. Um, you can definitely check out that show wherever you find podcasts, I highly recommend it uh, it's great the backlog will astound you he's gotten some unbelievable guests and uh, I hope you enjoy my appearances over there when we do some behind the scenes deconstructions of different topics. Anyways, thank you so much for listening to this show. I'm going to talk to you this Thursday because this was kind of a bonus episode. So I'm going to run another episode. It'll be a best of unthinkable episode this Thursday. So you're getting two episodes from me. So I hope you're not sick of me by the end of the week. Anyways, thank you so much for supporting this show. I'll talk to you not in a week, but in a few days. I'll see you.